Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Hey, we just want to say thank you for making this message a part of your week. Our prayer is that these messages will inspire you to make the name of Jesus famous in your life and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we'd love for you to visit our tribe fam in person. To learn more about us, you can find us online or at Facebook by searching tribejh.com. Today, we're going to jump right in, kind of kind of pick up where we left off with the Feast of Pentecost, so we haven't forgotten it, and that's what I want to talk about today, the Feast of Pentecost, and by way of refreshing your memory, if you will recall, all the way back uh, September of 2020, last, last fall, the Lord spoke to us at Tribe, and He said, I want you to begin to honor the seven feasts that I laid out for the nation of Israel here in the Old Testament. And my first question was, why? My second question was, oh no, are we going to become one of like those churches? I don't know if you've ever been to one of those churches, but there are some churches that like get like way, way into the feasts. And the Lord said, no, I want you to honor the feasts. I want you to recognize them and I want you to honor them. And then I came back to my first question, okay, well, well, why? And I feel like the Lord put three things on my heart, three reasons why tribe is going to recognize and honor the feasts, the seven feasts, the seven main feasts that are laid out in the Old Testament. The first reason that we're going to honor the feasts and the reason why God in, instituted the feasts, ordained the feasts in the first place Number one was to remember. Look at this verse in Psalms 77. And I'm going to, it's so good. I'm going to turn there. This verse is not on the screen, but you can write this down. This is Psalm 77. And it's so good. Oh, let's see. Where do I want to start? How about in verse seven? Has the... Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he ever again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And then he says, oh no, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. So it's very normal and human for us to in a moment of crisis, in a moment of difficulty or tribulation, to look around, where is God? Where is God in the midst of of this situation? Oh no, has he abandoned me? But then I love what Psalm 77 verse 11 says. Listen, we turn the page. But then I recall to, to pull up from your memory all that you have done, O Lord. I remember all of your wonderful deeds of long ago. They're constantly in my thoughts. So why do we celebrate? Why is tribe on this? uh, Why is tribe recognizing and honoring these seven feasts? Number one, the Lord said to number two, because I can see it right here. It says that when I recall, when I remember that they're constantly in our thoughts so that we can remember what God has done for us in the past. They're constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So the first reason that God wants us to remember 
and honor and recognize the seven feasts, seven main Jewish feasts in the Old Testament. Number one is to remember. Number two is to be able to recalibrate so that we can get our focus off of whatever it is that we're being distracted by and onto what God has for us. Listen to Psalms 119, verse 37 through 40 in the Passion Translation. I like how the Passion Translation, it says it. Help me to turn my eyes away from illusions so that I pursue only that which is true. Drench my soul with life as I walk in your paths. Reassure me of your promises, for I am your beloved, your servant who bows before you. Defend me from criticism I face, keeping your beautiful words. So part of the reason that God wants us to honor the feast is not only to remember what he's done in the past, but also to recalibrate our hearts and recalibrate our focus. We get so easily distracted by something sparkly. We get so easily distracted by things that that don't have any eternal value that part of the reasons why we take time, we slow down, we recognize and we honor these feasts is to help us to recalibrate our heart. And here's the last reason. (coughs) To rehearse. Remember, recalibrate, and to rehearse. Let me share a verse with you that you can write down. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2. And in fact, after we read that verse in Leviticus chapter 23, just stay in Leviticus 23 because we're going to come back to chapter 23 in a minute. Leviticus 23, verse 2. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed feasts, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. Another word for holy assembly is convocation. Well, what does that mean? It means to gather together, to call together for the purpose of rehearsal, to remember, to recalibrate, and to rehearse. Well, why do we, what what do you mean by rehearse? Well, as you'll see in in a moment, I I have a chart that I'm going to throw up on the screen Some of the feasts that the Lord has prescribed have been fulfilled. The feast that we're going to talk about today has been fulfilled. But some of the feasts have yet to have their actual, physical, prophetic fulfillment taking place here on on planet Earth. So we rehearse so that when the time comes... We're not going to look like idiots and be unaware. We're going to realize what's going on. Why? Because we've rehearsed it. Oh, listen, one more verse. Colossians 2.17 says this. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules or uh, celebrations, festivals, are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. We do rehearsals because when the actual time comes, we're not standing around going, wait, wait, what do I do? What, what's happening? So to remember, to recalibrate, and to rehearse. That's why, we, that's why Tribe is celebrating the seven festivals 
that the Lord has prescribed in, in the Old Testament. And I have a feeling that we'll probably continue to do this uh, as long as we're a church or until Jesus comes back. We're not going to make a gigantic deal out of them, but we're going to do just what the Lord said. Let's recognize and honor. So with that in mind, today we're going to recognize and honor the Feast of Pentecost. And in fact, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write the top, the top of your notes, the title of this morning's message, The Feast of Pentecost, Seven Lambs and Two Loaves. That's the title of this morning's message, and we're going to get into it a little bit more. Why don't we read the biblical background for this feast, and it's found in Leviticus chapter 23. So I'm going to turn there. And you can turn there in your Bible. I hope that as you're watching this live stream, that you have your Bible with you on your lap or at the coffee table, wherever it is that you're watching, because, man, it's just so important. Please, please do not just stare at me on the screen. Like, do something. Blink your eyes. Wave your hand at me. I know that I won't be able to see it, but I really want you to be engaged. Better than blinking your eyes, waving your hand, have your Bible right there on your lap. Have your notebook right there on your lap where you can take notes. The Lord's going to speak to you throughout this message and, and every message. It may be directly pertaining to this message. It may be related to, to something completely different. But when you have your Bible out, when you are engaged with the, the material that we're talking about and what God wants to speak to your heart, that's where transformation happens. You can watch a million of these live streams and just sit there and even be able to remember and recall moments or, or teaching points from this. But if you're not engaged, then there's no way that you can be transformed. And if you're not transformed, you're wasting your time uh, you're not wasting my time because I know that there are lots of Tribe Fam folks that are out there that are, are engaged. But just don't waste your time. Just get the most out of it, okay? Leviticus chapter 23, and I want to read verse 15 through 21. And you can follow along in your Bible at, at, your, at your campus. If you'd like to just press pause and take turns reading uh, Leviticus 23, 15 through 21, you can do that as well. All right, here we go. Verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. They call it the counting of the Omer. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Okay, remember that word, 50 days. 50. You can underline that in your Bible. Then... After the offering of new, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. The first offering of grain was for the barley harvest. This is for the wheat harvest. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. Make these loaves from four quarts of, here's another important word, choice flour. Bake them with yeast. Hmm, interesting. They will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. Along with the bread, present seven one-year-old male lambs with no defects. One young bull, two rams as burnt offerings to the Lord. These burnt offerings 
together with the grain offerings and liquid offerings, must be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then you must offer one male goat as a sin offering, uh, two one-year-old male lambs as a peace offering. Let's keep going, just two more verses. The priest will lift up the two lambs as a special offering to the Lord together with the loaves, representing the first of your crops. These two offerings, which are holy to the Lord, belong to the priests. That same day will be proclaimed an official day for holy assembly. There's that word again, a convocation, a rehearsal, a day which you will do no ordinary work. This is a permanent law for you and must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. So that is what's known among Christians as the Feast of Pentecost. But to Jewish people, even though they still counted those same 50 days as Christians do, 50 days from Passover, 50 days from Easter, all right? Jews know it as Shavuot, the Feast of Shavuot. And so that's what we're, that's what we're gonna talk about today. As we honor the Feast of Pentecost, we're going to talk about this feast right here in Leviticus chapter 23. God gives some very specific instructions. Just a quick background uh, on the, the, historical, the historical context for this feast. As I mentioned before, the barley harvest, so farmers would go, they would plant, they would plant barley seeds in their field. The barley would grow up. That crop was to be harvested at Passover. They would celebrate the, the, the Feast of Barley right there during that, that Passover kind of uh, window, kind of a festival season. Today it would be like for us saying, hey, did you survive the holidays? Woo, man, it was rough. And we know we're kind of talking about Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Uh, they're, they're kind of all rolled into one. The Feast of Passover has a bunch of different days and, and specific things to do. One of the things was to celebrate the barley harvest. When that was done, they would then, they would then have already planted the wheat harvest. And in the other fields, 50 days after Passover, they would then celebrate the festival of harvesting the spring wheat from the fields and that's what, that's what God is, is saying here. Shavuot means weeks. So Shavuot means weeks. So you have to wait seven weeks. Penta is Greek for 50. That's where we get Pentecost from. And later, as the Jews were, were scattered among the nations, Shavuot became a feast or a festival to celebrate God giving the law on Mount Sinai. Now, how do you go from seven lambs and two loaves of bread celebrating the, the wheat harvest to celebrating God giving the law on Mount Sinai? Those two don't quite seem to make sense. Well, by the end of this morning, we're going to marry these two different ideas together, and hopefully it will make sense for you. Now, with this festival, oh, let me, let me check. Do I have that? Did you put that chart up for me, Jacob? Okay, let's, let's look at that chart just really quick. You can see 
uh, the festival of Shavuot there. And then you'll also see a red line. Remember that some of these, that the point of all of these feasts are to remember, recalibrate, and to rehearse. All of the feasts below that red line, oh, you guys, they have yet to have their physical prophetic fulfillment in planet Earth. But we have fulfilled some of these feasts, and we have several feasts yet to go to be fulfilled. And so just keep that, keep the, if you want to press pause, take a picture of that so you, so you have that, uh, and then you've, you've got that feast. But what I want to do is to be able to see Jesus not only in, in all of those feasts, but specifically in the feast that we're celebrating today, the Feast of Shavuot. So let's look for Jesus in this feast. And we do that by looking at two key elements. There are two key elements to this celebration that I want to hone in on, that I want to focus in on. Here's the first key element. The sacrifice of seven male lambs. Now, why seven? Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's a bunch. Why in this instance, seven male lambs without spot or blemish? I mean, I know you guys are racing ahead of me. I know that you already get this. But this is a picture of Jesus. Seven is the biblical number of perfection. And the lambs represent the perfect lamb of God that would propitiate, that would not just cover, but actually remove and do away with sin. And that was fulfilled in Jesus when he died on the cross. So the first key element is these seven, seven lambs that act as a sacrifice to atone for sin. Well, they are a picture of the one man, Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice to take away man's sin. Now, I said there were two key elements, so look at, let's look at that second key element because it's, it's very fascinating. The second key element is the presenting or the waving of two loaves of bread made with fine flour. Now, sometimes in the Bible, when sacrifices were to be made for the Lord, sometimes grain was burned on the altar. Sometimes uh, an animal was, was roasted. Sometimes blood was splattered different places. This time, interestingly enough, this is a wave offering, a wave offering. Have you ever heard of a wave offering? You can look it up. It's all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus. But the idea behind a wave offering was to present something in the air to show God. Hey, God, look at this. And in this festival of Shavuot, the priests were to present a wave offering. Well, what are they waving around? We see here that not only do they present the seven one-year-old lambs, but they also present two loaves of bread. So they have two fresh-baked loaves of bread, and they present them to the Lord. They show them to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? But it gets even better. If Remember, I told you to, to look carefully at verse 17. It says, 
that they were to be made with yeast or leaven. Now, we know in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God was very specific about ingredients that were to go into the bread that was to be made. Some bread that was to be made, like like Passover bread, was to have no leaven or yeast in it. And Jesus in the New Testament talked about leaven and yeast. But this specific festival, God gives some some specific instructions and he says bake the bread with yeast now why in the world would he want us to break to to bake these two loaves of bread with yeast isn't that so interesting and not only that but he says bring the finest of flour Well, what does that mean, the finest of flour? So in the refining process of of from from the from the farm to the table, that process we we know from the series that we've done in tribulation. The grain was harvested, it was put on a threshing floor, and then a threshing sledge would go over and over it, being pulled by a donkey or two horses, and that threshing sled was called a trebulum and it was a a big wooden sled with stones in the wooden with sharp stones in the bottom to help separate the wheat from the chaff once the wheat was collected it was grounded and sifted and grounded and sifted and grounded and sifted until you had a a material that you could then mix with water and yeast and other ingredients to to make bread out of this particular uh, feast, God says, make the loaves of bread out of finest flour. Well, when you look at that phrase in the Hebrew, it means the flour that has gone through the most scrutinization. It has gone through the most sifting. It has gone through the highest level of scrutiny so that it results in the finest quality of flour. So you're to make the two loaves of bread with the finest of flour and add yeast into this, this batch of bread. And here's another interesting detail. God says, show two loaves. Why not one? Why not three? Why not seven? Why not 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel? He just says two. Oh, let me give you a hint. Let me give you a hint. You can write this verse down. It's not going to be up on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations and he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of death on the cross and our hostility towards each other has been put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to Jews who were near. 
Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what, of what Christ has done for us. So let's look at these two loaves of bread really quick before I give you the bottom line. One loaf of bread was intended to represent the nation of Israel. The next loaf of bread was to represent all the other nations of the world, Gentiles. The fine flour that was sifted and refined and refined is Jesus. And then he says, add some yeast in it. Yeast, from the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see that yeast is a symbol, leaven is a symbol or a picture of sin. That's why the Passover bread couldn't have any yeast in it. So why yeast in this? Because God is saying, look, I know that as Jews, you're not perfect. As Gentiles, you're not perfect. You have the condition of sin within you. But when Jesus, who has been perfectly sifted and acts as a sacrifice, he comes into the mix, so to speak. He can, he can make you through his life and his shed blood on the cross, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Okay, let me just, let me just say this one more time. Here's the whole picture. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, makes both loaves, Jews and Gentiles, who aren't perfect, acceptable unto God. Oh, isn't that amazing? Oh, isn't he just so incredible that he just gives us these pictures, hints and illusions. Those people with eyes to see and ears to hear will be able to, to, to decipher what is God up to all the way back in Leviticus chapter 23. Oh, so cool. So remember I said at the beginning of this message that you've got the, the, the feast of Shavuot, which was in celebration of the wheat harvest, but then later throughout history, as the nations were scattered around the world, that Shavuot became a celebration of God giving the law at Mount Sinai. How did these two things come together? Well, there's a lot of connection points, but I want to just focus in on one specific one as we wind down the, the message here this morning. And that is found, obviously, in the second chapter of Acts. In the second chapter of Acts, we, we see this amazing thing take place of an outflowing of the Holy Spirit. But before that happens, we need to look at the inflowing of the Holy Spirit. The inflowing of the Holy Spirit, which happens at the moment of salvation. So let me just share a couple of Bible verses with you. They'll be up on the screen. You can just write them down. So listen to this. Here's the Here's the moment of inflowing. John chapter 20, verse 22. Write this verse down. Turn to it in your Bible. John chapter 20, verse 22 says this. Then he, Jesus, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's at that moment that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. They believed, if we want to talk about in, in our modern terms of of. Uh, vernacular Christianity, that's when they got saved. That's the moment that they got saved. Jesus breathed on them after they had believed, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit took up residence within their heart. That's the moment 
that day, the inflowing of the Holy Spirit happened, and that's the moment that they got saved. Here's, here's another verse. Luke chapter 24. Let me read just a few verses. Verse 45 through 49. You can write this down. You can turn there in your Bible right now. Luke chapter 24, verse 45. He, that's Jesus, supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of scriptures. That's when they got saved. And he said to them, everything has happened that fulfills the scriptures prophesied of me. The Messiah was destined to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sin so they will, they will return to me. Start right here in Jerusalem. For you are my witnesses and have seen for yourself all that has transpired. I will send you the fulfillment. Okay, the fulfillment of the Father's promise. What's the Father's promise? That's the Holy Spirit to you. So stay here until you are clothed with mighty power of heaven. So in this instance, it's the same inflowing. So he unlocked their minds. They believed in him and they got saved. And at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within the life of each and every single believer. So there is this, there's one moment of, of inflowing. But then even Jesus himself talks about a, a, a separate, distinct. Now, the time difference between number one and number two, there's, there's a wide range of precedent for that in the Bible and in uh, personal experience. But the next thing that happens is not only this inflowing, but now there is a moment of outflowing. That's what I want us to look at next, this outflowing. Ooh, 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 ooh. Let me, let me just give you a quick bonus verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. I know that this one's not on the screen. It's, it's not on the screen, but this is just a bonus one. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. That's a baptism of repentance. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting that Jesus actually gives us a command? Don't go out until you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He spoke this in 1 Corinthians. It talk, Paul is talking and he says there were about 500 believers that were gathered there when he gives some, when he gives some final instructions to pour, before he ascends to heaven. 500 believers. How many are left on the day of Pentecost? The Bible records there were only 120 left. Where would that three other 380 go? What happened? Did they go off? Did they get discouraged? Did they try to live this Christianity out on their own? Uh, we don't know. But Jesus says, you've, you've been saved. Okay, good. You're going to be my messengers. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But wait, 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 wait. Before you head out, you've received this inflowing, but now there needs to be an outflowing. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at that outflowing. That outflowing 
We just, we, it's in Acts chapter 2, and let's look at this. I want to just read it because it's, it's so good. Acts chapter 2. It's a passage we're all familiar with. Here we go. I want to read verses 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Okay, all the believers, well, all that were left, about 120. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, I understand that the, the language might be a little bit confusing because he said, receive the Holy Spirit and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. In our English understanding of grammar, those almost seem like synonyms, but they represent two different occurrences. One, which is why I've called this this inflowing of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. But then, aside from that, addition to that is this outflowing of the Holy Spirit after we are filled with Him. Does that make sense? So, I know what you're thinking. Okay, I'm, I'm understanding what you're talking about. I'm picking up what you're putting down, PB, about salvation and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, okay, I, I, I'm following you. But I'm still wondering about this idea of the giving of the law and Pentecost. Like, how do these two get married together? Oh, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't have time to go too deep into this, but you can look in places like uh, Exodus uh, chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 is when God comes down on Mount Sinai and look for the similarities. So there is, uh, they're gathered together in one place. Israel is gathered together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven. God comes down from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. The Bible says that there is the blast of a shofar that got louder and louder and louder. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like tongues of fire appeared in the Old Testament, the Bible says that there were thunderings and lightnings and fire in the cloud that settled on Mount Sinai. That is when God gave the law really to the whole world, but Israel was the first nation that got to hear it. And the law is what people got married to. People got married to the law. Well, here in the New Testament, oh, and as a result, like within, within the first day or so of the giving of the law, people broke the law and God ended up having to kill, wipe out 3,000 people that had broken the law. This is all in Exodus chapter 19 and, and, and beyond. You can look at it for yourself. But 
when here's the marriage part you can see the similarities between the fire and the tongues of the tongues of fire and the fire on the mountain the loud blast the 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 rushing wind nation being gathered there the intent was for the nations of the world well look at what happens at pentecost there are 14 different nations that are represented here as we get into verse 7 8 and 9 and People were like, what is going on? What is, what is happening? And then how awesome, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up and he delivers this message that we have recorded right here. And what does the Bible say? As a result, as a result, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. You can cross-reference this with Exodus chapter 32, and you'll see the story of, of people going wild and Moses sending the priests throughout the camp to, to slaughter people. So the law, when the law was given, 3,000 people died. When the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. I love celebrating and recognizing and honoring the feast of Shavuot because it reminds me that God gave the law which was to help make us conscious of sin. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, died for our sins knowing that there was leaven and sin in us and Jews and in Gentiles bringing us together as one people and that he has a mission for us to go out to the nations of the world, but he has commanded us, don't go until you receive that outflowing of the Holy Spirit. This inflowing at salvation and then the outflowing when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what's so important about honoring and recognizing the feast of Pentecost or the feast of Shavuot. Will you pray with me real quick? Then we're going to do just a few more things. Lord Jesus, thank you that your sacrifice is sufficient. Lord, thank you that we don't have to become perfect in our own right before we can be acceptable to you. But even with all the leaven in us, even with the sin in us, your sacrifice makes us acceptable to God. Thank you, Lord, that you gave the law to make us aware of our sin, but then you provided the remedy for it, allowing us to have right standing with you if we will but ask you. That's that inflowing. And then thank you, Lord, that you have provided the power for us to walk out the new life that we've been given. That's that outflowing, that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Father. Would you take just a moment and in your own words, just thank him for the Feast of Pentecost. Maybe you haven't received that inflowing yet and really what needs to happen is you need to get saved. You can do that today. Maybe you have been saved, but you've just had bad teaching or bad experiences or no teaching, which I guess would be bad teaching, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And today you realize, wait, 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 wait. Uh, 
I'm missing out. It doesn't make you any less of a Christian. Come on now. But receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives permission for the Holy Spirit to flow through you and out you to change your life and the lives of those around you. And so you just ask, maybe you've been saved, great, but you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just by faith, you just ask them, say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm saved. I know that the Holy Spirit dwells within me as that seal or deposit guaranteeing my inheritance, but I've never invited you to operate in and through my life. I've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love you and I trust you. I surrender myself to you. And I receive all of you, Holy Spirit, to operate in and through my life, including the gifts of the Spirit. I receive that in Jesus' name. Man, how cool is that? We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Oh, amen. Oh, man, if you if you received the baptism.